Thank you for tuning in to the best parenting show on the internet. Post Daily Dose. So without any further ado, Brian Post. Well, good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming out on this beautiful Crescent City evening. Uh, how many parents do we have? Uh, foster and adoptive parents. Show of hands. Okay. Biological parents. How about teachers? Any teachers? Okay. Um, juvenile probation workers. Uh, nurses. Am I leaving anyone out? Tutors. What is it? Tutors. Tutors? Any tutors? Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So I'm going to give you guys a presentation this evening that speaks to everyone. And the way I need you to try to, the way I want to encourage you to hear the presentation is to apply it to yourself first. So as I'm, as I'm going through this material, I want you to really think about it in the context of, of who you are as an individual. Because it's going to apply to the kids that you work with. So we're going to get to that point. That's, that's inevitable. But in order for you to most effectively grasp it, you really need to apply it to yourself. You really need to apply it in your own life. And I've been doing this for over 20 years now. I've traveled around the world, working with some of the most difficult children and families that there are. Most of those children have been um, in residential treatment and come home to their families. Every diagnosis you can imagine, every medication you can imagine, every history, every severe abuse, I've seen it. I've probably seen it on countless times. And so when I tell you that this information applies to your situation, I'm really not joking. It, it applies to every one of us. So we're going to talk tonight a little bit about uh, trauma, because I want to help you understand the brain a little bit. Bruce Perry, who's a pretty famous neuroscientist and psychiatrist, says that if you work with children, you need to have a generalist understanding of the brain. Well, I personally believe that in, if we're in relationship with anyone, we need to have a generalist understanding of the brain. If we're in relationship, period, we need to have a generalist understanding of the brain. We need to generally understand how our brains function in social and emotional relationships. Because everything we're talking about tonight is emotional. And that's really the limitation of this presentation, is that this presentation is a talking presentation. That means it's very cognitive. So that it's engaging your left hemisphere. But the significance is that everything you do with kids, everything you do in relationships, in your own life, is emotional. That's the challenge. Because your emotional brain dictates to your thinking brain. Your emotional brain makes up three-fourths three of your brain. Three-fourths of your brain. If you draw a circle and you put a square and you cut that into fours and you color one section of that, that's your thinking brain. Go ahead. Do you have... How many of you have pens and papers? If you don't have it, just think about this for just a moment. That's your brain. If you were to cut this into fours like pie, and you were to fill out this section, this is your thinking brain. That's your thinking brain. That's the brain, the part of our brain we try to function with in relationship, in school, at work, every single day. But guess what? This is your emotional brain. All of us being smart individuals in here, which part of your brain do you think has the bigger influence? <laughs> your emotional brain. When your emotional brain gets activated, it dictates to your thinking brain. So I'm going to tell you something that's really important. Number one, this isn't the most important thing. Your emotional brain is connected to your body. All of your stress, all of your painful experiences, all get stored in your body. They get stored in a part of your brain called the brain stem. So if we put your body down here, your little hands, your cute little hands, and here's your cute little feet. Your brain stems at the bottom of your brain, at the base of your brain. Your brain stem stores every memory you've ever had. It's a historical organ, so it stores everything. 
and it becomes very unconscious because as you grow older, you forget those experiences. But here's what you have to understand is that your brainstem starts storing experiences right after conception. As early as the fourth week after conception, as a fetus, you started hearing. I'm going to say that again. You, you and I, four weeks after we were conceived, we started hearing. By the second trimester, we started thinking. Every one of those experiences that your mother had while you were in her belly, you have stored in your brainstem, and it's called a pre-verbal memory. There are memories before you have words to create associations, which means it's all emotional. Those pre-verbal memories from the time you were in your mommy's tummy all the way until the time you came out are still there. They're hardwired into your brain, and sometimes they still get activated. There's research that says in times of stress, some adults will regress to the stage of infancy. You ever seen an adult, a spouse, a husband who starts acting like a baby when he gets upset? Don't point any fingers. <laughs> and what do we want to say? Stop whining. Grow up. Act your age, not your shoe size. In that state of functioning, in that state of being, that individual is literally, physiologically regressed. They are not choosing to be in that place. That's just where they go back to. And that's us as adults. That's us as adults. Us with 50-year-old brains. Been doing this 50 years. And all of a sudden, I get stressed and I go back to a stage of infancy. Or a two-year-old. Or a three-year-old. Or a four-year-old. Five-year-old. Imagine what your kids are going to do. It doesn't change. It just gets more intense as children because we're emotional to begin with. We're already emotional. But when your emotional brain gets triggered, this is something I really want you to remember. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because I feel like it's, it's transformative. And I've been trying to get schools to, to, to consider this as a primary, a primary variable in all education for many, many years. When you become stressed, your thinking becomes confused and distorted. When you become stressed, and remember, stress is emotional. Stress is not something you think about. You don't all of a sudden say, here, let me think myself into a state of stress. You just become stressed. And then you try to think your way out of it. When you become stressed, your thinking becomes confused and distorted. When you get stressed, you're not thinking clearly. And your short-term memory shuts off. So when you become stressed, emotional, your thinking becomes confused and distorted and your short-term memory shuts off, which means you cannot remember. You cannot remember when you're in a state of stress. Now, it gets real tricky because if you take a child who's in a classroom and they're stressed out for any number of reasons, any number of reasons, they're stressed out, and we know a child is stressed out. How do you know when a child is stressed out? They're acting out. They're acting out. They're acting out or they're acting in. When a child is stressed out, they do one of two, one of two things. They become hyper-aroused and aggressive and hyper, or they become hypo-aroused, withdrawn, and they shut down. That's how you know a child is stressed out. When a child is acting out, it's because the child is stressed out. Has anyone ever told you that before? After 20 years of experience, I'm telling you, that's why children act out. Children act out all of the behaviors because they are stressed out. If you take a child in the classroom who's stressed out, do you think that child can learn effectively? But if they're stressed out and acting out, where do we place all our focus? On their behavior. We place all our focus on their behavior, and we're still trying to get them to learn, aren't we? But they can't learn. And this is why children 
grow older, but they don't grow better. This is why year after year after year, the same child that was a challenge in kindergarten is the same child who's a challenge in the sixth grade, who's the same child who drops out when he's a freshman. Because the way we approach that child continues to manifest stress in his life. The way we deal with that child, because that child stresses us out, continues to create stress in his life. So when you are stressed, your thinking becomes confused and distorted, and your short-term memory is suppressed. So what does that tell us? The first thing we need to do is when we become stressed, breathe. Breathing is the one proven way to interrupt your stress physiology. Herbert Benson, a Harvard physiologist in the 1970s, discovered the relaxation response. Breathing is the one proven way to interrupt your stress physiology, but what's the first thing we do when we become stressed? <gasps> we hold our breath. When you hold your breath, what happens? Stress escalates. Stress escalates. Because we are conditioned to hold our breaths when we're stressed. We're conditioned to be in survival. When the first thing we have to do, we have to do it, is breathe. We have to teach ourselves to breathe when we are stressed. When we can teach ourselves to breathe when we are stressed, guess who we teach next? Our children. Our children. Follow me on Facebook every single day, five days a week, almost every single day, five days a week. I do a daily show on Facebook at Post Institute. It's called Post Daily Dose. Every day I'm answering a question. I'm talking about some little tidbit, and I've done it for almost 350 episodes. So there are 350 videos of me talking about this stuff on Facebook that you guys can access at any point in time. I call it the greatest little 10-minute parenting show on the planet, although usually I talk longer than 10 minutes. So be sure you check us out on Facebook. Let's talk about this for a moment, the three pathways of emotional expression. And I want you to think about yourself. I want you to think about your own childhood. There are three pathways for emotional expression. Attitudes, feelings, and behaviors. And the reason you have these pathways is because these pathways help you transition through stress. Did you know that every time you are asked to do something new, every time you're asked to transition from doing one thing to the next thing, even if I said right now, stop looking at me and everyone stand up and turn around, you know what happens? Anytime you perceive a novel event, the brain perceives that event as a threat until deemed otherwise. Every time you encounter a novel event, the brain perceives that event as a threat until deemed otherwise. So if I say to you, stand up, turn around, and face the back of the room, it's not scary, is it? But your brain will perceive that as a threat, which means it will release stress, which means you have to transition. So what's the first thing you're going to do when I say, stop what you're doing, stand up, and turn around? I'm going to show you. Stop what you're doing, stand up, turn around. Okay, now turn back around and face me. Now, when you were standing up, did you notice yourself go, oh, uh, here we go, it's another one of those kind of workshops. Role plays and all that kind of stuff. Right? You had attitude. You had attitude, quiet attitude, internal attitude. But what if, in the midst of that attitude, which would you agree that you're getting up, and thank you for getting up and turning around, by the way. Would you agree that getting up and turning around was really not that stressful? Would you agree that it really didn't do me any harm that you mumbled to yourself and thought, oh, here we go again? It didn't hurt me, did it? I didn't even find it offensive, did I? But what if in the midst of you getting up and turning around, I said, stop having that attitude. Just get up and do what I tell you to do. Don't turn back and look at me. Turn around and face that freaking wall. How would you have felt then? You wouldn't have felt very good, would you? We do that all the time. 
when our kids roll their eyes. Right? What were you what were you taught when you rolled your eyes as a kid? What did your parents tell you? Don't you roll your eyes at me. I will knock your eyeballs into the back of your head. I will turn those eyeballs into marbles. Right? Attitudes is one of our pathways of expression. We have to have attitudes. We have to have attitudes because it helps us transition. It's what helps you get up and turn around and literally look at that back wall. Without it, you couldn't do it. You have to transition that energy. And if you can't express through your attitudes, you drop down feelings. So if I say don't give me any attitude, someone in here, probably five of you in here, I know Tom Bass, is going to say, hey, buddy, you ain't my parent. You don't raise your voice at me. You don't tell me what to do. I didn't come here for this crap. And someone's going to believe. That's called feeling expression. If I don't allow you to have your attitude, you're going to drop into your feelings. Because you have to transition. You have to transition. Well, what if I tell you, don't you talk to me that way? You ain't going to raise your voice at me. Don't you cuss me. It's just going to escalate, isn't it? You're either going to escalate, you're going to become hyper-aroused, or you're going to become hyper-aroused. You're either going to act out or you're going to shut down. All depends on what your makeup is. All depends on what your history is. Because the moment I increase that level of stress for you, this is really important, what I'm about to say to you. The moment I'm asking you to do something, and you're going through a natural state of transition, and I tell you that your attitude's not okay, and I tell you that your feelings are not okay, what I'm doing is I'm turning up your stress, and what's going to happen is that stress is going to activate your brain stem. This part of your brain down here. That part of your brain where you stored all those memories since you were a fetus. All the way up. And if I increase that stress enough, you're going to feel... You're going to feel just like you did when you had that experience. Now, if that experience makes you feel powerless, if that experience makes you feel terrified, if that experience makes you feel overwhelmed, if that experience makes you feel sad, all of a sudden, that's what's going to speak to your thinking brain. Now, let me ask you something. If that experience is getting turned on, are you in the present? You're not in the present. You're in the past. You're in the past. And that's what gets turned on when we get stressed. When our children roll their eyes and we don't permit attitudes, we are pushing them into their feelings. If they express their feelings, and why do we do this? We do it because of social conditioning. We do it because that's what we learn from our parents. And our parents learn it from their parents. And their parents learn it from their parents. And all along the way, we label that as disrespect. We label a child rolling their eyes as disrespect. But if you're huffing and puffing while you're standing up facing that wall, are you really disrespecting me? You're not. You're doing your best to transition to my request. If you get mad and you're like, oh man, I didn't really come here for this. I didn't come here to stand up, stink, and turn around, face the freaking wall. What kind of workshop is this? This is some crap. Is that disrespecting me? It's not. That's you expressing your feelings. And you know what you're doing all while you're standing up and turning around and fussing about this workshop being crap? You're facing that wall. You're not not facing the wall. You're expressing your feelings because you have to transition. And you're entitled to those feelings. Now you grew up believing that you were not. Because your parents grew up believing that they weren't. And their parents grew up believing that they were not entitled to feeling expressions. And so we labeled it all, this, all these things that become ugly. Like disrespect. Manipulation, defiance, willfully disobedient, 
But it's really none of that stuff at all. It's you expressing your feelings so you can transition. That's all it is. It's not hurting me. Your words don't hurt me. Your words just tell me how you're feeling. If we don't allow our kids to have attitudes, they're going to go to their feelings. And if we don't allow them to have their feelings, if we get louder than they get, if we get meaner than they get, if we get more threatening than they get, if we get more controlling than they get. See, you can do this with kids until they're about 10 years old. Yeah, maybe 12. You might be able to get to 12 where you can get louder, you can get meaner, you can get more controlling. But when that adolescent brain starts to click in, they're not going to do it anymore. The ante's going to escalate. And guess what? All of that control and all that loud voice and all that fear that you're trying to use to control your child, what that's doing is that's causing you to lose relationship. And when you lose relationship, you're losing the single most important variable in your home. Relationship. Relationship allows you the ability to influence your child across the lifespan. But when you get stressed and when you get scared, you use fear and you use control to try to make your child do what it is you want them to do. And they'll do it until they're about 12. And then they'll start to rebel. And pretty soon, they're going to find other kids who feel the same way they do. And before you know it, they're all rebelling. That's not because they're bad kids. It's not from being bad kids. It's from being raised in fear. Being raised with stress and fear. We don't raise our children with stress and fear because we're bad parents. We don't know any different. Because that's what we experience. We parent the way we were parented. You almost can't avoid it. You have to work really hard to not parent the way you were parented. And your willingness to work hard changes everything. Changes everything. Changes it for you, changes it for your child, changes it for your grandchildren. See, because this isn't about us and this isn't about your kids today. This is about your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. The work I'm talking about is changing generations. Breaking chains. If you don't allow a child to have attitudes and you don't allow them to have their feelings, they drop into behaviors. All of you did it. All of you did it. You grew up in homes where you couldn't have attitudes, you couldn't have feelings. Now, you couldn't openly misbehave in front of your parents, could you? You'd be afraid of losing your life. But you could misbehave when they were looking. You could slip out of the window at night when they were asleep. You could leave, leave school on lunch break and go steal something, or go drink a beer, go smoke a cigarette, go have sex. That's behavior if we can't express our attitudes, we go to our feelings. If we, can't, if, we can't, if we can't express our feelings, we go to our behaviors. And if you can't express your behaviors, you drop down to anger and depression. And anger and depression have to come out through behaviors. I call it the trauma triangle. Anger and depression have to come out through behaviors. And if you spend six months or longer in anger, depression, and behaviors, you are living in trauma. You are living in an environment of trauma. If you spend six months or longer in anger, depression, and behaviors. But here's the problem. And here's the challenge to this. And I really want you to hear me on this. We condition our children. They can't have their attitudes. They can't roll their eyes because that's disrespect. They can't yell. They can't talk back. Because that's disrespect. They get down to behaviors and now you're just being bad. Now you're just doing stuff you're not supposed to do. So they have no other pathway. Those are the three pathways to work through any transition. Those are the three pathways. So we suppress them all the way down to behaviors and then they act out in their anger and their depression. And what do we do? Medicate, diagnose, send to residential, Send to therapy, restrained, kick them out of the home. We 
don't permit attitudes, we don't permit feelings, we don't permit behaviors, and pretty soon we give them no other option. And over a period of years, guess what? They become conditioned for anger, depression, and behaviors because we're not giving them any other option. We're not doing that. We're not giving our children any other option. We're the ones who are creating more drama trauma. So these children come to you, if we're talking about adopted and foster children, they come to you with trauma. They have pre-existing trauma histories before they ever come into your life. You get stressed out because you have all these old school messages about not expressing attitudes, not expressing feelings, not expressing behaviors. And guess what you're not doing? You're not giving them any other option for working through their pain. Because a child who is misbehaving, a child who is acting out is a stressed out child. A stressed out child. If you have a child who's acting out, it is because that child is stressed out. When we get stressed out with that child, when our stress gets even higher than that child's stress, we're not teaching them anything different. Well, what about teaching them responsibility? You gotta teach kids responsibility. We're preaching, teaching kids responsibility the whole time we're being reactive. The whole time we're getting mad at them when they act up. We're yelling at them when they act up. We're consequencing them when they act up. You know what that's called? That's called teaching kids reactivity. We're not teaching responsibility. Teaching responsibility means we have to be willing to be responsible. If we are not willing to be responsible, if we are only willing to point the finger at our kids and say, stop acting like that, go take your medication, we need to go see your therapist, we are not teaching responsibility. In order to teach our children responsibility, we have to be willing to be responsible. And that's where it gets difficult. That's where it gets tricky. Let's talk about trauma for just a minute. Trauma is any stressful event which is prolonged, overwhelming, or unpredictable. Any stressful event, any stressful event in your life, in your life, let me ask you guys this question. What do you think about this? What was going on in your mom and dad's life when your mom was pregnant with you? Think about that for just a moment. What was going on in your mom and dad's life? Everyone's got a mom and a dad. When you were in your mama's belly. Because every experience your mama had went right to you. Cortisol, which is your brain's primary stress hormone, washes through the womb. Washes through the womb. Every stressful experience your mom had when you were in her belly, you experienced. Were they together? Were they happy? Were they stressed? Was dad gone? Was mom on her own? Was there drinking? Was there drugs? And those experiences, man, listen to this. They still show up to this day. Those experiences that happened to you when you were in your mom's tummy, they still show up in your life to this day. To this day, you could be 70 years old and could still be having experiences from when you were in your mom's tummy. You could get stressed out, and that's, that's what shows up. It shows up when you get really stressed. When you get really stressed, because that stress turns on your brainstem, releases all those memories. When you get anxious, you feel sick, you feel depressed, you feel scared, you feel angry, you yell, you cuss, do whatever you do. All of that can be coming from in utero. Trauma is any stressful event which is prolonged, overwhelming, and unpredictable. Any stressful event. Prolonged, overwhelming, and unpredictable. And when we don't have an opportunity to talk about it, when we don't have an opportunity to cry about it and then talk about it some more and cry about it some more and finally make some kind of sense of it, it can impact us for the rest of our lives. It can change your brain. It can change your brain. One experience can change your brain if you don't have an opportunity to talk about it and cry about it and come to understand it. It can change your brain and follow you for the rest of your life. So what are some of those common events? These are common traumatic events that we see because we work with adopted foster children. 
right? We think about abuse and neglect and adoption and foster care. We, th we think about all these as traumatic events, but what if you, what if you were in the war? What if you were, were in the military and, and you were in the war? My dad was a Vietnam veteran. He came back from Vietnam with severe PTSD. He heard a helicopter overhead, he hit the ground. My dad slept with a lamp on the entire time. The entire time he was alive. He slept with a lamp on because he was afraid of the dark. Severe PTSD. He was my parent. See, we don't think about that. What if you had a car wreck? I worked with a little girl once when she was an infant. Her parents were in a car wreck and her dad was decapitated. And she still had anxiety around being in cars when she was an infant. Car wrecks. What about medical trauma? What about constant, being constantly in pain? When you're constantly in pain, your brain's constantly, re constantly releasing stress hormones. When you are stressed, you send out a vibration of stress to other people. I'm going to say that again. When you are stressed, when we become stressed, we send out a vibration of stress to other people. Have you ever walked by someone and knew they were talking about you? How did you know? You felt it. That's the vibration. Have you ever walked by someone who's laughing and you smile? <laughs> Don't even, like, you're just like, why am I smiling? Because they just sent you a positive vibration. You feel it. See, this happens all the time. But it happens in a nonverbal way. It happens on an unconscious level. We're not consciously aware of it. Frequent moves, kids who have frequent moves, chronic pain, emotional absence, or parental depression. So you're, you might be thinking, oh, I never experienced any kind of trauma. Never experienced any kind of trauma. My parents said they were good. They were, you know, hardworking people. Came home every day, put food on the table, a roof over her head, clothes on her, on her bodies, shoes on her feet. But were they emotionally present? Emotional absence and parental depression are the two most common forms of trauma in our society. If you got a parent, listen to this, if you had a parent who works a job every single day, you were at risk of experiencing emotional absence. Hard-working people, but you know what it means to be a hard-working parent? You know what it means to be a parent, period? It's stressful. It is stressful. And to be a parent in our society today, it is stressful. And as a parent who is stressed, we send off a vibration. We send off a vibration of stress. So Tiffany Fields is a researcher at the University of Miami. She did study with these two infants. She hooked these two infants up to brain scans. The brain scans looked exactly the same when the depressed parent walked towards her baby in comparison to when the healthy parent walked away from her baby. Breathe that in for a moment. What if every time your parent walked towards you, you felt stressed without saying a word? It happens. You know how it happens in families that I see? It happens with anxious parents. Parents who are really anxious wonder why their children don't ever want to be around them. Because their children are really sensitive to stress. So every time the parent moves towards the child, the child feels stressed. So they start to isolate. So one of the ways I help anxious parents connect with their children is learn how to go slow learn how to use less words, and learn how to just be present. Learn how to just be with your child until your brain can start changing again. What do these things all have in common? They all occur in the context of human relationships. What does that mean? All of these experiences, these traumatic experiences, occur in the context of human relationships. So when you get stressed, guess what becomes unsafe? Relationships. When you get stressed, the person that you love the most all of a sudden becomes your biggest threat. You had that happen before? Where you're all lovey-dovey with your sugar honey, you're all hugged up and smooching, and all of a sudden 
Maybe they move a certain way and hit a sore spot. And you go, oh, God, why'd you do that? And then as soon as you do that, you hit a sore emotional spot for them. They say, why, gosh, don't be so dramatic. I'm not being freaking dramatic. Stop accusing me of being dramatic. Well, look at you, you're being dramatic right now. I can't even sit here beside you anymore. You get on my nerves. I can't deal with this crap anymore. I can't deal with it either. Just two minutes. 60 seconds before that, you were all loved up, schmooching, feeling on top of the earth. And in 60 seconds, they become a villain. That's stress. Stress causes confused and distorted thinking and shuts off your short-term memory. What do you do? You're hugged up on your loved one and you accidentally bump them and they go oh, and they, they ugh. Scowl and pain. What do you do? Take a deep breath. Say, honey, I'm sorry. How many of you have parents who said, I'm sorry? Somebody raise their hand. One, one two, three, four. They have parents who apologized to you when they did something wrong. Most of us didn't. So it's hard for us to apologize now. It's hard for us to say, I'm sorry. But I'm sorry is the start. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you. Are you okay, honey? Are you all right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm all right. Come here. Let me love on you. Okay. Oh, I love you so much. I love you, too. I'm sorry you're hurting. Yeah, me, too. That easy. But in the moment, stress sets in, we can't do it. We can't do it. We have to become more and 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 more aware of our own stress. That is the key. Let's look at it from the perspective of the brain. This is your general understanding. Your amygdala, your fight, flight, or freeze reaction in your brain pumps out the stress hormone called cortisol. Anytime you feel a threat, you can feel a threat through any of your sensory pathways. You can feel fear through any of your sensory pathways. It's not like, oh, I'm scared. It's not that. They could just be driving here, create stress. It could just be getting hungry. It could be being cold. It could be being hot. It could be smelling something. Someone walks past, walks past you, and that smell triggers a memory that's buried in that brainstem. It could be any number of things that cause you to experience stress. And your cortisol sends out these stress hormones, past your pituitary gland, goes past a structure called your hypothalamus. Your hypothalamus is responsible for one really important thing. This is really, really important. Your hypothalamus is responsible for releasing oxytocin. Oxytocin is your brain's anti-stress hormone. So you have your amygdala that releases cortisol and your hypothalamus that releases oxytocin. Oxytocin is also called the love hormone. It's the hormone that makes love possible. But here's what's important about that hormone. It is a learned response in your brain. Your oxytocin response is a learned response. You learn oxytocin from your caregivers, from your parents. Why do you need oxytocin? If you don't get oxytocin, then you're constantly in stress. And so if your parents were not conscious and they were not present and they did not look at you and make eye contact and smile at you and give you hugs and comfort you when you were upset and pick you up when you cry and change your diaper when it's dirty and feed you when you're hungry and put you to bed when it's time for you to go to sleep, if they didn't do that, then you have a diminished oxytocin response, which means that you grow up as an adult who has a difficult time handling stress. I'm still talking about us. I haven't even started talking about your kids yet. I'm still talking about us. When you didn't have parents who connected to you and were nurturing and affectionate and gave you love and consistency and predictability and care, you grew up with a diminished oxytocin response. Yeah, maybe they, they put a roof over your head and they fed you and they said goodnight and they were always there. That's a level of oxytocin. That helps you deal with some stress, but not the big stress. The big stress overwhelms your oxytocin response. You have to have oxytocin. Every time, oh man, 
I'm about to drop something on y'all real simple. And it's going to be so powerful. It's going to be scary, though. You're going to be like, oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> when you have a child who is acting out, which means that child is stressed out, it's because they have a diminished oxytocin response. When children are stressed out, it's because they've gone beyond their ability to release oxytocin in that moment. And when a child exceeds their oxytocin response, they drop into behaviors. They drop into a regressed state. They drop into stress. They drop into fear. And they start acting out according to that. I want you to remember that. Your child's behavior has nothing to do with you. And it has everything to do with how they are equipped in their brain, which has everything to do with their earliest history. Same for you. When you're acting out, it's because you're stressed out, because you've exceeded your ability to release oxytocin in the presence of stress. That's it. That's it. Then I have more It's not about diagnosis. It's not about diagnosis. I don't care what the diagnosis is. I do not care. I am telling you, that when you are stressed out, it's because you have exceeded your ability to release oxytocin in that moment. And in that moment, you are stressed out. It's that simple. If you can not turn on enough oxytocin to reduce, to dampen down your cortisol. So think about your amygdala. Your amygdala and your cortisol is like the gas. Your oxytocin is the brakes. If, when you are stepping on the gas, and I am a self-admitted speed demon. I drive like a bat out of hell most of the time. And I really, 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 really work on it. Because I've got a lot of tickets. <laughs> I have not learned. Why have I not learned? Because if I'm driving fast, it's because I'm stressed. And if I'm stressed, and I get a ticket, guess what's not turned on? My short-term memory. So as soon as that police officer is no longer in my rear view mirror, when the cortisol, your gas, you got the pedal down. When your oxytocin, your brake is weak, it is going to overwhelm your hippocampus. Your hippocampus is the first structure of your brain that starts to communicate your ability to think clearly. Your hippocampus is the first structure in your brain that starts to access your short-term short memory. So if your amygdala, you got the pedal to the metal and your brake is ineffective, your hippocampus is gonna get overwhelmed. And when your hippocampus gets overwhelmed, what did I tell you happens? In times of stress, our thinking becomes confused and distorted, and our short-term memory is suppressed. That's how it works in your brain. When your children are acting out and they're acting all crazy, it's not because they're bad kids. It's because they are stressed out, and they don't have an adequate braking system. And when you get stressed out and act crazy just like them, you're not repairing their brakes. You're giving them more gas. It's all about oxytocin. Regulation is the experience of stress within your window of tolerance. So as long as you're operating within your window of tolerance, you are able to maintain your stress. Dysregulation is the experience of stress outside of your window of tolerance called affect dysregulation. When you're in a state of dysregulation, it's because you've gone outside of your window of tolerance for how much stress you can handle. You've exceeded your oxytocin capacity. Now listen to this. This little scientific finding is another one of those light bulb things. Affect dysregulation is considered to be a fundamental mechanism involved in all psychiatric disorders. 
Being stressed out is considered to be the fundamental cause of all physical, physical, emotional, psychological, and behavioral problems. Being stressed out. If that is true, I'm going to ask you to put your thinking caps on for a minute. If it is true that being stressed out is the fundamental cause of all physical problems, all emotional problems, all psychological problems, and all behavioral problems, if that is true, when you see someone having <laughs> behavioral problems or emotional problems or thinking psychological problems, or emotional, emotional problems, whatever, what's the first thing you need to do? Huh? Say it. Don't be scared. Speak up. Breathe. Oh, that's powerful. Y'all nailed that. Like, you seriously nailed that. Because that is the answer. Like, that is the best answer. You could have given me any number of little answers, which would all be good, but that is the best answer. If you experience a stressed out person, if you experience a person who is seemingly out of their mind, who's making no sense, if you experience a person who is in chronic pain, if you experience a person who is boohooing or yelling, the first thing you need to do is breathe. Because your ability to lower your stress helps them begin the process of lowering their stress. You nailed that. It's really exciting. That actually doesn't happen that often. I've been lecturing for 20 years, and when I say, what's the first thing you got to do? Most people are saying, like, calm the stress. Breathe, which is calming the stress. But you can't breathe. It's stress. Relationship factor. We're biologically engineered to be in relationships. So I'm going to show you a little video because it's very interesting. There's a principal and then there's a school teacher. And I want you to see who's focused on relationship versus who's focused on behavior. It's very, very telling. Yeah, why don't the teacher take my hand? Yeah, I don't know. 
had his hat. He left his hat in a place it wasn't supposed to be. I took his hat. What's the point? He doesn't really perform at, at any kind of acceptable level. Um, he caught a real nasty attitude about it. Why you want to leave school? Yeah, I know. He can relax and about his hat. Uh, and get his hat at the end of school day. Or you said at lunchtime? Well, see, I'm at lunchtime if I'm a nice guy and you don't treat me bad. When you leave, he said anything? Yeah, he called me all kinds of names. He was swearing at me and everything before he was leaving. He called, no, you know me, I ain't doing that. But before he left here, I was all kinds of, you know, MF, A, S type. Oh, I said, all right. How we doing? Come on. Please. How are we doing? The longer you do this, you get a sixth sense. If I get it right, I'm going to find out the only problem. Now, here's what I want to tell you. How old are you? I'm 18. And see, that's the tough part. And when you get 18, you're like grown and it's hard to deal with you because you're a young adult. If my hat was small enough to fit in my pocket, I would put it in my pocket. And he just wanted to do this to show you that he got power to need this. And that's what I thought it was. Honestly, I'm sorry. That's what I got. All right. I was trying to figure out what was this about. It's not about the hat. You feel like you didn't get that much respect. Alright, come on. I want to try to keep you in school, so I got the point, the teacher got the point, you got the point. You have to straighten this out for your teacher. We're not finished, don't walk away. Don't go home over your hat. Hold on. I just know from experience, sometimes these little things can turn into bigger things if you don't do the right thing. This is your third high school. I'm trying to make sure that this year is somehow successful. Because you're going to get an education. All right, let me bring you over here. Let me go get your hat. Principal McAfee convinces this angry student to sit down with the teacher who took away his hat and try to work it out. Hi, this is Mr. Wilkins. I want these two people to communicate and solve their problem. So I got to pause in here for just a moment because <clears throat> I want you to catch how quickly the energy changes, how quickly the dynamic changes from the principal. The principal did pretty good, didn't he? He stayed in relationship, kept the kid in school, kid was ready to leave, kept him there. I want you to see the subtle difference between the principal and the teacher and how quickly it escalates out of control. And it starts immediately, immediately. Just listen to the words, just listen to the words.
So what happened? How did the teacher handle that? Not very well, huh? Proof's in the pudding, isn't it? It's a pretty big difference between how the principal handled it, isn't it? And you get a pretty big different outcome. I always say the process dictates the outcome. The process dictates the outcome. Before you can get to any outcome, and the behavior is always the outcome, you have to go through a process. There's a process to every behavior, every challenge, every situation. There is a process that has led up to that situation. And we have the ability to influence that. But a lot of times we get caught up in our own needs to control our own needs to suppress, or our own needs to change. And we actually foster the outcome. We make the outcome happen even faster. Then here's what we do in our society. What we do in our society as adults, responsible adults, is we mess up with kids, and then we blame them. And we don't do it because we're mean or bad. We do it unintentionally because that's the way our society operates. So we mess up as adults. The principal should have never put the kid in the room with the teacher. And if he was going to be in there, they should have all been in there together. The teacher was obviously more irrational than the student. Even to the point that he was distraught, the student was still making sense about what the teacher should have done. The teacher was completely stressed out. But once it's all said and done, once the principal screws up and once the teacher screws up, let's listen to the outcome. Wow, it's a tough world out there for young people. They feel very vulnerable. When they feel disrespected, we're in a lot of trouble. They do things sometimes that don't make any sense. You know, and you deal with young people that have to explode. After his attempt to make peace between teacher and student backfires, Chuck McAfee has to clean up the mess. You gotta see his hand, he's a nurse. restitution. He had to come up with some kind of restitution. 
And see, we want to call that taking responsibility. We want to call that as adults teaching children responsibility. That's not teaching a child responsibility. In order to teach a child responsibility, you have to be willing to take responsibility. So taking responsibility in that scenario would have started with the principal saying, hey, I shouldn't have sent you in there with that teacher. That's my bad. Number two, the teacher should have handled that a lot better. And number three, I'm sorry you got so stressed out you had to put your arm through that window. Now we all three got to figure out a way to pay for that window. So we're going to need to go to Walmart on Saturday and we're going to need to sell some Girl Scout cookies. Or we're going to need to go down to Smith River and catch some fish and turn around and sell it. And buy a new window and then we'll come down and we'll put it in. That's taking responsibility, which is then teaching responsibility. Let's take a 10 minute break. Hey, what's up, Facebook family? So I hope you guys enjoyed that um, little little bit of uh, lecturing with this fine group of people up here in Crescent City. I think I'm going to go ahead and sign off right now. And uh, you guys, there's, there's several, many, many full-day um, videos that I've done on uh, the Daily Dose. Not the Daily Dose, but the extended, the XL version. So just go back in the history of the videos and you'll see them and you'll catch all the other stuff. But I hope you guys have a fantastic evening. Remember, in any situation, we always have two choices. We can continue to react from the same blueprints of stress and fear and overwhelm, or we can stop, we can slow down, we can take three to ten deep breaths, and we can choose love. God bless you. Big Papa loves you, and we'll see you tomorrow.